First Draft, the improvised audiobook presents Struggles of a Dark Lord. Story inspired by you, our dear listeners, with this week's chapter title suggested by Jeremy King on Facebook, read and improvised in real time by Zach Atherton, and introduced by me, Nimbly Pimbly. Chapter 2 Skeletons in the Closet. Mr. and Mrs. Peabody are dead, their bodies lying on the floor surrounded by toys and knickknacks, unceremoniously sprawled on the floor, their eyes wide open. Standing at the door with her backpack dropped is Reese Jamberson. It takes her a moment to recognize that the bodies on the floor aren't playing a game or sleeping or resting, but... They are, in fact, truly deceased. She takes a few steps forward into her room, a place that normally would give much comfort and solace and security, and she stepped forward to what she was now beginning to conceptualize as a crime scene. Reese was the murderer, the culprit. She had done this. She had taken a life. Death by raisins. Reese, by all means, was a perfect girl. Only ten years old, but far wiser than her age would let on. Already perfectly responsible, completely respectable, and with a wit as sharp as a three-piece suit salesman in a needle factory. Even though she was already ten years old, she was able to solve complex math problems in her mind, at least complex for a ten-year-old, and was often too smart for her own good. Reese from a young age always thought she knew what was best. The right answer had always come so quickly to her, and so she quickly took charge of any situation which was placed before her. As an only child to a single dad, she had to learn to be independent, but she didn't mind it. She liked being autonomous and liked having the ability to control her life. She made her lunch in the morning, she brushed her hair, she clothed herself, she reminded her dad when it was time to buy new clothes and new shoes. She set an alarm on an alarm clock every day for school so she can get up at 6.30 in time to prep for all her things. She had it all together. She was also quite sure that she was ready to be a pet owner. She had talked to months to her dad, a rather shy accountant from Minnesota. She talked him to taking her to the pound one day. It had taken months of preparation and careful coaxing and subliminal messaging so that he was finally ready to take the plunge. Letters to Santa. Books she checked out at the library of how to take care of animals, babysitting the neighbor's dog, taking home the class pet for a weekend, and doing an exemplary job. After months, finally wore Richard down and took her to the pound. Reese, although young, had a fairly adult concept and grasp of the world. She had given up her notions of fairy tales and romance, romance in the way that everything works out or everything is gilded or beautiful at a very young age, even younger than she already was. But she had never been to a pound before, and she couldn't perceive at the time how sad it was. She'd always expected that when she'd go that she would see a glass case of cute golden retriever puppies or a couple of kittens meowing in a corner. The one she went to in her small town of Livergreen was not like that at all. It was in the back of a warehouse, chain-link fences lining up a double-decker row of crates with a bit of plywood separating the first from the second floor. She saw animals of all ages, 
some sleeping in the corner, some barking madly, desperately trying to escape, but generally an air of sadness clung to the air. When she was there with her dad, she almost regretted asking for a pet in the first place, not wanting to be in that place any longer. Hey, Dad? She remembers herself asking. Oh, yeah, what's a deer? said Richard in his absurd accent. Dad, what happens to the animals that I don't pick? Oh, gosh, replied Richard. Oh, uh, I'm sure they'll find homes uh, with good families, just like uh, just like you're doing for them, eh? You think so, Dad? Oh, I'm sure of it, sweet pea, he replied. Reese walked down the halls a few times, gazing over every cage, realizing that she would be changing the life of an animal today, that her decision would save one, but not all. Reese was calculating her decision, trying not to be distracted by the cutest one, or the youngest-looking puppy, or the saddest-looking one. She wanted to make a good decision, a strong animal that would jive well with Reese's strong personality. She wanted a pet that she could take care of, but one that could take care of itself, too. She ran a tight ship, after all, in her room and in her home, and she didn't want any freeloaders. By her third pass, she recognized that she had looked to the same cage a few times. A pair of black cats, sitting contently, staring at her. She'd never seen cats behave this way, the way that they sat almost patiently, waiting for her to come while the other animals were busy in their own worlds, or whimpering, or begging for food, or nipping at each other, these cats just sat, their eyes green and fixated on her. She was almost drawn to them, like a magnetic pull, as if she was being caught in their orbit. She walked over to them and placed her hand up to the chain-link fence by their noses. They both, the cats, in unison leaned forward and sniffed once, and then leaned back, at attention, as if waiting for the next move. Dad, I think these are the ones. These ones, said Richard, with a small break in his voice. Oh gosh, honey, I, uh, I thought you were just going to get the one pet. Oh, I, uh, you know, it's been a big jump for me to have to be able to trust you to take on another life, but gosh, too, uh, don't you think that's a bit much? Don't you think you're biting up a bit more than you can chew? Dad, these cats belong together. I couldn't bear to separate them. And look at them. They seem to operate as one anyway, so it wouldn't hurt, right? Just a little extra food. I could still use the same kitty litter box. I've been reading up on it. I've also read that when animals have a companion, that they live longer lives, they're happier, and they are, they're more healthy. Well, started, Richard. I suppose I can't argue with that. You're a smart girl, you know, Reese. Okay, uh, I guess we just uh, throw them in a bag and uh, put them on the cashier for it, or he chuckled. They told the owner of the pound that that's, those are the animals they would like to take, and he asked their names. Eddie immediately thought of a pair of characters she had been reading in her teen fiction books, several years older than her reading level, she was proud to say. The Peabodies. The Peabodies were a detective couple who would solve crimes all across Europe, and she thought that was super neat. They're boy and a girl, right? asked Reese. Yeah, that, that's right, said the front desk attendant. Uh, they came in together, uh, not... Uh... Not three weeks. Not three weeks ago. You know, these cats are interesting. We we typically tr try to keep our animals one to a cage, but these just were drawn to each other, and they weren't mean or, or fought, but they just, they didn't seem happy unless they were with each other in the cage. So I think you're getting something really special. I think so too, said Reese. They took Mr. and Mr. Peabody home, 
Strange as these cats were, they behaved like most cats do. They kept to themselves, though sometimes venturing out, looking for attention, which Reese was happy to give. She set up the litter box in her bathroom, which was attached to her room upstairs, some kibbles and water that were set on rotation, a device her dad had bought her that she had to turn clockwise to be able to fill in three times a day the portions that would be healthy for them, as she carefully researched in her cat care book. For two months, she was the perfect pet owner. She groomed them. She loved them. She even read to them. She knew exactly where the right spots were. They knew on top of the head was a place where they liked, but under their bellies or around the tail, they would slink away and become a little bit more timid. She grew to love them. They helped satisfy a desire within her to take care of things. Reese had to take care of herself so much as her dad worked so hard and as she was alone in her house a lot. So having these two souls in their home made her feel more complete, made her feel that she was needed in a way that she seldom had for her short 10-year life. One morning as she was getting ready for school, it being mid-fall, she got up at her normal time and saw that her dad hadn't yet left for work. He was normally gone before she was. He commuted a couple hours away to a small office in the city, but he was there today. Reese said, I need you to... You just sit at the table, eh? You do that for me? Uh, sure, Dad, said Reese, a little confused. Reese, um, uh, I've got some news for you that um, I'm not sure if you're going to be happy about, but uh, I promise you that it's good for you. Reese stared. She knew that it was best to let her dad speak without interrupting. Reese, uh, you know that I love you. You know that... uh. And I'm the best and luckiest dad in the whole world, by gosh. But, uh, you know, I feel bad that I'm not able to take care of you. Reese interrupted. Dad, you're, you're the best. Look, I know you work hard and you leave early and, and come back later, but we get to, we get to spend weekends with each other. And, and I, I, I love, I, I love being your daughter. Richard continued. Oh, that's real sweet of you, sweet pea, but you're only 10 years old and, uh, you need someone to take care of you. Um, I know you've been doing such a great job by yourself, and by gosh, I'm so proud of you for the way you're taking care of the Peabody's. But um, I've hired a, a nanny, an au pair. That's what it said on the fancy website anyway, but uh, she's going to help come take care of you. She's a nice lady that I met at a corporate retreat, and uh, she, like us, lost uh, lost somebody. A long time ago, and uh, she never had any kids of her own, and so uh, she lives by our way, and so she's she's gonna come help us out. She's gonna get you ready in the morning, and uh, she doesn't work the crazy hours I do, and and she'll be here when you're at school, and and she's gonna help you with your with your homework and erase you, and uh, and and I hope that's okay. Reese wasn't sure what to say. She had been alone for so long. The idea of a another person in their home, especially a Another woman was strange and foreign. Dad restarted slowly. I realize that you're worried, but I really think I'm okay. And I don't think we need more than just you and me and the Peabody's, of course. Now, Reese, said Richard, look, I, I don't want to fight you on this. I, uh, like it's pretty much a done deal, I tell you. We've we've already signed the contract. Uh, in fact, she's she's here. She's she's in the other room. Uh, 
she made you a lunch. My lunch? But, but I make my lunch. And you sure do a great job, said Richard, but you're, you make the same thing every day. You make cranberry turkey sandwich with a side of Lay's and, and an Oreo. And, uh, that's, that's, that's good, but you need variety. Uh, that's such a practical choice. You, you need, uh, you just need someone who knows more. Eddie knew she wasn't going to win this fight. Okay, dad. Um, I guess this is how it's going to be. I'm glad you're at least trying, said Richard. Look, I know you didn't know your mother, but, uh, you're so much like her, and I want you to know I'm so proud of you. And, uh, well, I'm going to get teary-eyed on you, but, uh, but I better get to work. Um, oh, I should probably tell your name. Uh, it's uh, Carol. Carol Ansley. She's uh, she's going to be, uh, just call her your big buddy. Or, uh, uh, just, yeah, she's going to be your buddy. And uh, I got to go to work, sweet pea, but you be good for her, okay? Okay said Reese, a little defeated. She watched as her dad walked out the door, and she looked at the small lunch neatly prepared on the table. A middle-aged woman poked her head out from the side room of the kitchen. She said, Oh, hi there, Reese. Hi, my name's Carol. I know who you are, said Reese. Thank you for my lunch. I appreciate it. I have to go to school. Oh, said Carol. Well, I'll see you at two fifteen, finished Daddy. On the dot. But I'll be upstairs. Oh okay. Well, have a good day. Reese took her lunch and walked upstairs to put it in her backpack. She looked inside and saw a peanut butter sandwich, a bag of cauliflower, a fruit roll up, and a clear Ziploc bag of raisins. I hate raisins, said Reese. Reese didn't use the word hate very often, for she generally thought that Hate was a nasty, ugly word used by people who didn't know any better, but it to her very bones and to her very core. She hated raisins. She took them out, opened up the Ziploc bag, and defiantly poured them on the floor. I don't need these raisins, and I don't need you, Carol, said Reese underneath her breath. She put the rest of her lunch in her backpack as she ran downstairs and out, grabbed her coat, and ran out the front door to the bus stop. All day, she didn't talk to her friends, pay much attention to class. All she could think about was Carol. Why does my dad think we need someone else in the home? Steamed Reese in her mind. I'm like the most responsible 10-year-old in the whole world. I've got straight A's. I, I wake up every morning. Sometimes I, I'll make him dinner, said Reese as she paced back and forth. Now on her lunch break, Reese sat down a minute. And for the first time in a long time, she thought about her mom. She didn't remember her. She had been out of her life before she could remember. And her dad didn't like to talk about her too much. From what she could piece together, her dad both loved her mom to his core, but that her name also caused him much pain. She didn't know what had become of her mother. His dad kept a few pictures of them, their marriage. And moving into their first home, one picture with her mom holding a baby, a tiny, young Reese. But other than that, there was very little evidence of her in the home. She remembered when she was eight, she'd asked for more details, but her sweet, tiny little father 
would always say the same thing. I'll tell you when you're a bit older, sweet pea. It's not a story for sweet ears like yours. The bell rang, and she snapped out of her fugue state and back to the present. She had decided her game plan. She decided that she was going to be so perfect to her father that she was going to show him that she was more responsible, that decisions that Carol could make were only going to hurt her well-being. And the more she could do that, the faster she could return back to what she wanted. Her and her dad and her two new friends, the Peabody's, in their home. She formulated in her mind her first step. She was going to go home, immediately go upstairs, finish her homework, then go to the kitchen and make her father's favorite meal. Beef stroganoff with a side of apple slices with cinnamon dashed on top. She would do it without any help of Carol, without acknowledging her, doing every step herself, and only making enough for her and her dad. Confident in her actions, the rest of the day flew by. Reese was a strong girl after all. She took care of herself, and she would take care of her home, protect it, and return it back to the way that she wanted. When the bus arrived at her home, she bolted out, past the white picket fence that she'd helped her dad paint a couple summers past, up the few steps past the patio, through the screen door, and ran up the stairs. Before she even opened the door, she knew there was something wrong. A stillness that she was not accustomed to ever since bringing her new friends home. She slowly creaked the door open and peered inside, and after a momentary shock, she saw Mr. and Mrs. Peabody on the floor by the pile of raisins she had dumped earlier that morning, their bodies still unmoving, them crouched over in the fetal position. In a flash, she had remembered in one of her pet owner books that she had rented from the library a list of toxic items to felines. And she could see in her mind's eyes, in full focus and clarity, as if it was right there in her hands, highlighted and emphasized, right underneath grapes, raisins. Her gut reaction was a strange one. She had never experienced death up close, though she had read about it, though she knew about it, though she had no misconception of things living forever. She had never seen it, and certainly had never been the cause of it. So perhaps it was understandable to know that the first thing she did was to grab her two dead cats by the nape of the neck and threw them in her closet and shut the door behind them. She slunk down by the door, breathing heavily, trying to process what had happened. Not only had she been the demise of her two special cats, but this was also a clear representation of her ineptitude, her youth, and her folly. Those two dead cats not only represented the loss of new friends, but also were the metaphorical nail in the coffin of the life with her dad that she'd become accustomed to. She would lose her independence. She would lose her freedom. She would lose this little universe that she had grown to love, where she was able to build her own world and her mind and her room and intersect with her father from time to time. That was now being challenged with the thought that their family needed something more. Reese was not a religious girl. His father didn't go to church, so neither did she. So she wasn't very accustomed to prayer. And yet she was cognizant of the practice of pleading with something beyond herself. And as she kneeled beside her door, her face resting on the solid oak wood of her closet door, it feeling cool against her face. She muttered, Please send help. Show me the way forward. As she opened her eyes, 
After finishing her impromptu and clumsy plead to the ether, she noticed a dim blue light spilling out from underneath her closet door. She heard a rumble, but the only thing she could identify it close to is the rapids her father would take her, sometimes in the summertime, where they would go kayaking. It started off slow and began to build. Nervously, she reached for the door handle, turning it counterclockwise, pulled it open. As she looked inside, she saw the lifeless bodies of the Peabodies and saw that somehow their paws were touching, two front paws as they lay on their side, touching up top and their two lower paws touching below, forming a diamond shape. And although she was seeing it, she could not believe her eyes. She saw the source of the pale blue light that started in a focal point in the center of the diamond shape by the corpses of the cats. So it grew brighter, more luminescent, and harder to look at, as the rumbling continued to grow louder and louder. As the rumbling grew to a point that it seemed as though the sound was right before her, she became scared and slammed the door behind her, holding it with her hands and her back, breathing heavily, unsure whether or not she should run or she should hold the door back, stopping the impending invasion of what was to come. But before she could make a decision, everything stopped. The light dimmed to nothing, Still, the only light she could see was the sun obscured by the clouds coming through her window. The only sound she could hear was the light traffic outside. As she slowly slid down their back against the door and sat for a moment and turned over her left shoulder and timidly on the doorknob. As she began to turn the doorknob once again to investigate, the door pushed back with a sudden jerk. She screamed and scuttled back. The door opened slightly ajar and falling out of it was a hand about the size of her own, but grizzled with long, pointy, and buffed, gleaming nails, fell somberly onto the floor, knuckle-side. Taking a beat of shock and fear, she got herself up to her feet and walked over to the door, eyes not breaking with the grotesque hand that had just fallen from her closet door. She slowly opened the door and looked down. The bodies of the cats were gone, and in their place was a creature roughly her size, with a small leather bag by its side, toenails buffed and gleaming like the ones on its hands. She peered over to look at its face, and for the second time that day, recognized something she had never experienced until that day. This body, this creature, like the Peabody's, was dead. This has been First Draft, the improvised audiobook. Music by Ethan Young, hosted by the Improv Broadway Network. To help create the story, please leave us comments or suggestions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at First Draft with two S's, or at firstdraft at gmail.com, also with two S's. This is Nimbly Pimbly. Thank you for listening. Have a smashing new year. And may your 2018 be filled with beef stew and Yorkshire pudding.